Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Right, so the passage is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen. (laughs) This is right. I love it. It's just plain right. That's all you have to say. It's right. Number two, verse two. Honor, and that word honor is important today. I'm going to be talking about honor, and I'm going to help us to see the power of honor in a family, but also in discipleship. He says, honor your father and mother. What does that word honor mean? That same word honor is used to pay money in many, many other places in the Bible. It means put value to Honor, give, give what is due. Treat them as worthy of receiving something from you. Honor your father and mother. It's not only money, by the way, but that just gives us a, a context or an understanding. It means value someone. Treat them as valuable, as important. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus, when he talked about this verse, it's the, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, he, he talked about it in terms of money. He said to the Pharisees, the Bible says honor your father and mother, but you say, Pharisees, that if a person is in full-time ministry, they don't have to give any money to their parents anymore. So Jesus understood honor means give value, importance, weight, care, respect to someone, but it also includes looking after them financially. Isn't that interesting? So honor, um, just the same word when it talks about the price that was given for Judas betraying Jesus, it says the price was 30 pieces of silver. That's the word honor. Um, it's, it's a really interesting word. Okay, so honor your father and mother. Honor them. Treat them as special. One of the signs we're told in the Bible of the end times is people will not respect their parents anymore. And, and there's, there's a little key in here. You might say, oh, I, I, my parents are old or I don't live near my parents or, or whatever, or that doesn't apply to me. I promise you, if you're a believer and you are wanting to be a disciple or make disciples, you're gonna wanna hear about honor today. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There is actually a physical and a health and a a spiritual blessing from honoring your parents. Something good happens. It goes well with you. Doors open when you didn't expect them to open. People treat you with favor. You get opportunities. People call it luck. It's not luck. It's the blessing of the Lord because as you honor your parents, God opens doors, things happen, and you live longer. Amazing. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now this is not talking about when you poke your child in the ribs and they're laughing but they're crying at the same time. That's not what it's talking about. That's a good thing for a dad to do. Dads, play with your kids, wrestle with them. Somebody said the definition of a dad is somebody who growls when he's happy and laughs loud when he's scared. And I think that's the most brilliant definition, apart from the other one, which says a dad is someone who has photos in his wallet where his money used to be. I think both of those are good definitions. But dads who play and provoke their kids in a playful way 
is brilliant, but this is talking about provoking your child to the point of frustration, where they just go, I'm so frustrated because my dad or my mom won't listen to me. And there's something important in this, in this principle. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Does that mean you just leave them alone to do what they want? No. He says, bring them up. Yes, we gotta be involved, dads and mums, in bringing them up. There's something we gotta do to guide them and train them and lift them and help them so that they're brought up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So in those four little verses are everything that we need to know. I found a lovely little song called Daddy's Hands. It was written in 1986 by a lady called Holly Dunn, and it was a hit in America, and I'm just gonna read it. I'm not gonna try and sing it to you. It goes like this. I remember daddy's hands folded silently in prayer, reaching out to hold me when I had a nightmare. You could read quite a story in the calluses and lines years of work and worry had left their mark behind. I remember daddy's hands, how they held my mama tight and patted my back for something done right. There are things that I've forgotten that I loved about the man, but I'll always remember the love in daddy's hands. I remember daddy's hands working till they bled, sacrificed unselfishly just to keep us all fed. If I could do things over and live my life again, I'd never take for granted the love in daddy's hands. And then the chorus goes, daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in daddy's hands. And so I've just used the word hand, H-A-N-D, to bring out four points from those verses in Ephesians 6. Let me read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And if we do this in our families, God says you're now working with a template that I've given you for a successful family, for a healthy family. And how many of us know if families are healthy, society is healthy. The whole world is benefited. Families are the building block. If we go according to God's plan, we get a good result. But also, in Christian life, in churches, we are the family of God, friends, brothers and sisters. And these principles apply. So the first H stands for honor. I'm just gonna talk about honor for a little bit. I've already said the Greek word means value, giving value to something. He says honor widows who are really widows and he's talking about giving them money and he gives a list of requirements for when a widow qualifies to be given money by the church. But when he says honor, he's talking about giving them value in finance but also value as a person. Um, The Bible talks about honor quite a bit and there are four levels of honor. Remember, honor is giving value to someone, saying to someone, you are worthy of respect, you have value, you are important. Now, who do we give honor to? Who do you give honor to? And I'm gonna show you that if you're not giving honor or receiving honor, your life, your family life, and your whole life is much, much, much poorer. 
So the first thing is, just because a person is a human being, we are supposed to give them honor. Did you know that? Just because a person is a human being. Why? Because they're created in God's image. Every human being is created by God and has God's stamp upon them and God's honor upon them and everyone, no matter what they've done or haven't done, no matter how much the world says that they're trash and are not to be respected, we as believers honor everyone. Everyone has value. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 2 verse 7. He's talking about God, God what, you're so great. When I consider the heavens and, and everything you've made, what is man that you are mindful of him? And then it says you've made him a little lower than the angels. Even the, even the guy who's got no money and he's homeless on the street, he's made a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Every human has honor. We as Christians should be able to treat everyone with a level of politeness, of respect, amen. We really should. Everyone deserves a level of honor. Right, the next level is authority, people in authority. Because Romans chapter 13 says that God has There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's not saying the person in authority was appointed by God, it's saying the position was appointed by God because God loves to put authority so that blessing can flow, and the Bible says this, honor all people, this is 1 Peter 2 verse 17, so I've already covered that one, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the king. There's another level of honor for people who are in positions of authority. You might say, you don't know what a rubbish person that is who's in authority. They don't deserve honor. They've misused finances. They've mistreated us. They've done bad, they've done bad. But God says, you give honor to the position And the amazing thing, which we're gonna see a little bit later on, is when you give honor, even if a person is not deserving of honor, miracles flow in and that person raises up to a new level. It's something quite extraordinary. Romans 13 verse seven, he says, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. And the Roman emperor, at the time when Paul wrote these words, was Nero, who was a terrible emperor. And Paul said, you honor the position. You say, yes, sir, even though you can disagree with them, you can vote against them, you can tell them you think their policies are wrong, and you can challenge them, but you honor their position. You do it with a level of deference and respect. So, human beings get honor, great, even the lowest. People in every type of authority get honor. This is God's way, folks. I know it's countercultural. <laughs> I'm so aware that what I'm saying right now it cuts exactly against what our culture says, but God's word is still God's word. And it always will be. And when we do things God's way, we get God's results. The third level is for believers. People who believe in Jesus have another level of, of honor that we give them. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23 says, you were bought at a price. 
Do not become slaves of men. And that word price is the same word translated honor earlier on in Ephesians 6. Honor your father and mother. You were bought with honor. God put value on you when, when he died for you on the cross. You know, the, the value of something is the price someone's willing to pay to get it. Did you know that? A person can paint a painting and it looks to me like a squiggle of useless lines, but if someone is willing to pay $10 million for that painting, that is the value of that painting. Isn't that true? Friends, you know what the value of you is? The price that God was willing to pay to buy you back, and it was Jesus' blood. You were bought at a price, and therefore we honor. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another out of brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Christians are supposed to be the most respectful and honoring people of us, of all. We're supposed to honor brothers and sisters, even if they treat us badly or we disagree with them, we still give them respect and honor. Wow, how would that cut across culture if we acted like that more? And then lastly, family. Husbands, 1 Peter 3 verse seven, likewise dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife, because she's physically the weaker of the two of you. Now, I don't want to debate that right now. It's quite obvious that a man can lift more in weight, but that doesn't mean she's got less value. In fact, in Romans 12, he says the the bits that seem to be less important, we give them more honor. It's counter. It's upside down in the Christian world. We give honor, and it creates something beautiful. Husbands are supposed to honor their wives, and in Ephesians 6, we see that children are supposed to honor their wives parents honor 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 so how do we do this if we have a culture of honor in our families and I'm gonna in fact let me just read the story to you now it's in Mark chapter 6 and I'm gonna move on to the others H-A-N-D in a moment but let me just read you Mark chapter 6 because it's so powerful Jesus went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And, then, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? And that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Let me ask you a question, was Jesus able to heal people? Yes. There are many, many places in the Gospels where he healed everyone who came to him, but in this place, in his hometown, it says he could not. Not that he didn't want to, he wanted to heal them, but he could not, and the reason is very clearly given. They didn't honor him. They said, this is little Jesus. We saw him growing up as a kid in the playground. Look, there's his brother and sister. He's not a great prophet. He's nobody, and because there was no honor given, no miracle power could flow. Boy, there is such a powerful message in that for families here today. What potential is in your kids 
that God is wanting to just express and do wonderful things, but because you as a dad or mom are not honoring, respecting, valuing, treating them as important, the, the power doesn't flow. Same with parents, dads in, in particular. You know, there's dads who go to the boardroom and they make decisions about huge amounts of money and life-changing events and they decide on the future of 1,000 employees here and 10,000 employees there and they go home and they've got all this ability and the rest of the world looks up to them and says, what a great captain of industry, but because their wife and their kids don't honor them, none of that blessing flows to that family because honor is the door that opens the, ro the road to miracles. You say, what is honor? It's just treating someone with respect. It's just treating them with admiration. It's just giving them value and saying, you are a valuable person. Your opinion matters. If we could just let honor flow, we would see so much. Right, the next one is A. And this stands for aim. What I'm saying here is that there's a bigger picture in our bringing up of our kids. There's gotta be a bigger aim, a bigger goal in life. It's not just all about us. We've gotta be telling our kids about the big world, the big God out there. We're not pointing them to us as the ultimate authority. We're pointing them to God. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He says, fathers, bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord or in the Lord. It's always with a bigger context of God. Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So children are supposed to be pulled back in a bow when they're with us at our home. We aim them to what they're gonna do for the Lord and then we let them go when the time is right and they go out into the world. We've gotta give our kids a bigger context. You know, if a family has a purpose, that family is that much more healthy. When I was working in the finance industry and we were looking after family wealth, there was this rule about by the third generation, a family's wealth is gone because the kids of the wealthy people just lose all restraint. They have no focus in life. They gamble it away or they take drugs and the wealth is all gone by the third generation. But they said the difference is families who have a goal and a purpose. So if the family know, like the Rockefeller family, if they, if they know our purpose is to have a charitable foundation and we're gonna do good for the world, then that family lasts much more than three generations. And if your family have an aim, if your family know we are believers, we serve the Lord, and we're involved in planting and building churches, this church and other churches, and that's what we do. Our money goes to it, our energy goes to it, our plans go to it. When we go on holiday, we're thinking about it. This is what our family is. We are a church planting Christian family. It gives them an aim, and then when you let them go, they'll go and they'll find their own way to express it. But if you have no aim for your family, then they'll find all sorts of different things. So I'm gonna move on. That was A for aim. N is for nurture. He says, bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring up. And that word, bring up, is translated nourish or nurture in other places in the Bible. So he says, bring up your children, and that same word means nourish. Let me show you a couple of other places where that word occurs. Ephesians 5.29, it says, no one ever hated his own body, 
but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's the same word, bring up. So when he says, fathers, bring up your children, he's saying, nourish them. N stands for nourish, nurture. Kids have to know that you care about them and that you love them and that you want what's best for them. If, if you wanna try and discipline them, which is the last one, D, and, but you haven't convinced them that you love them and nourish them and nurture them, if they don't know you have their best interests at heart, they will not respond to your discipline and you will be provoking them to wrath. You've gotta convince them. There's gotta be, I would say, five happy, good experiences before you can have one negative discipline experience. You've gotta have fun with them. They've gotta laugh with you. They've gotta enjoy things with you. They've gotta be convinced, Dad loves me. And in our churches as well, there's gotta be fun and joy and laughter. There's gotta be this nourishing. There's gotta be five times more positive than negative. You say, how do we do that? Do fun things together. Go and have an ice cream with your kids, just you and your kids. So we're gonna go and have an ice cream. We're gonna go and have lunch together. We're gonna go for a walk. We're gonna go to the movies. We're gonna wrestle and tickle. We're gonna, whatever it is, something fun. We're gonna watch a film together. We're gonna have a meal together and just chat. There's gotta be the positives so that when the negative comes, there's a bank of positive balance built up in your relationships. And then D stands for discipline, and you can hear the word disciple in discipline. He says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And that word training is the same word translated discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm gonna read you Hebrews 12. It says, have you forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. That's the NIV translation. I prefer the New King James which says, if you endure chastening, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what comes out of this passage is discipline is unpleasant at the time, but it's done with love, and looking back, we can see that they loved us. And then the third point, which isn't so clear from this passage, but I wanna bring up, is that he uses the word discipline and not punishment. And I just, if you'd stay with me for a few moments. Punishment speaks of justice and speaks of making you pay for what you did wrong. And it's often associated with anger. So punishment means justice. If you've done wrong, you deserve to be punished. Discipline speaks of love and the aim of discipline is to make sure that you don't do that again because it'll harm you in the future. It's always saying there's 
temporary pain now to stop you from greater pain later. And the terribly sad thing about today's society is that parents think that we can't or we shouldn't discipline anymore. But he says clearly in Ephesians 6, bring them up in the discipline, the training and admonition of the Lord. There is a place for saying no, and if you do that, there is a negative consequence that will be painful for you. And God says that's okay. Not just okay, essential. Because if we don't do it now, the state, please hear me now, if I don't give my child temporary pain now, and they never learn that lesson, the state will teach them when they're older by putting them in prison. It sounds harsh, it sounds dramatic, but I wanna tell you, if we don't, if we just hope they'll somehow get over this, this rebellion or this rudeness or this selfishness or this stealing or this lying, if we hope it'll just happen automatically, we're deluding ourselves and someone will have to teach them, but by then it'll be too late and it'll be the state that'll teach them and they'll get in trouble with the law or they won't be able to hold down a job, or their marriage will break down, or whatever, because there is, in all of us, a need to be trained out of negative behaviors. And parents are the people who are supposed to do it. You and me, we are supposed to discipline our children. In this country, it's either illegal or frowned upon to smack, but there's a whole host of other things you can do. It's got to be a negative, painful experience expressed with love and where they understand that the purpose of it is to help them so that they don't experience worse pain later on in their lives. You can say, to, I, I sometimes laugh at time out because I think, boy, if I'd been given time out when I was a kid, I would have laughed, you know? <laughs> You've been very naughty, now go and sit over there. Okay. But for some kids, it's a terrible experience. But you've got to find the thing that works for your child. Amen? I think the best nowadays is take away the device. But it's got to be something that they don't like, and they've got to understand it will be consistently applied. It's not because you hate them. It's not because you're angry. It's because you love them, and you're trying to teach them that there's more pain later if they don't change this behavior now. I used to tell my kids stories, bedtime stories. And they, if an adult was listening in on me telling my kids stories, they would have seen through it immediately. But it was about little Jimmy who got up on the roof and he was gonna fall off and his dad said, don't move Jimmy, I'm coming to get you. If you move, you'll fall. And Jimmy didn't listen to his dad and he fell and he broke his leg. That was the bedtime story I would tell my kids. <laughs> you remember? Why? Because I was trying to show them that I'm not, I'm not telling them what to do because it makes me feel better. It's because I'm wanting to save them from pain. That's the whole reason for it. If we express our discipline with lots of nurturing around it and they understand why, it's because I'm saving you from a problem later on, then we can get it done. But even if they don't understand, we've just got to be consistent. Can I just make one little comment? If you say to your child, I'm not going to tell you again, and then you tell them again, you've lost. 
this is the last time. This is really the last time. Jimmy, I'm not gonna tell you again. And then you get louder and louder and more anxious and more histrionic and embarrassed. And there's this little thing. But if you're calm and you're quiet, you say, I love you, but you're not allowed to steal from your sister. And if you do, I will take away your device for five hours. No emotions need to be involved. And you take it away the first time they do it. They will learn. The problem comes when we haven't done that and now we get to teenage years because then it's almost too late. And now you have to treat them like an adult and you have to say there is still a consequence but you have to be re ready for the fact that it may be another 10 years before they understand why that consequence is happening. And, and that is a difficult situation. But for those of us who have little kids, can I just say, if you do it when they're three, boy, so much easier than when they're 13. And you just gotta be consistent. And the mum and the dad need to get together on this, amen? If, you know, we talked about honor. If the dad is trying to lay down a rule, or the mum, and the other parent sides with the kids, your honor in that household is shattered. <laughs> you haven't got a hope. You're gonna lose every time. And what you've taught your children is that honor is not important because you can disagree with the authority. But if you agree together, you will win. Right, so why am I telling you this story? Because I believe that the, the plan for families needs to be much wider spread than just for those with little children. It needs to be for all of us. These principles of honor, of having a bigger aim, of nurturing and of discipline, apply to every relationship, apply to every part of church life and normal life. And if we get this, what happens is, can you imagine Jesus walking into his hometown and he says, a prophet is without honor amongst his own family. But imagine his family, you know, James and Jude were his two brothers who at this time did not believe in him. And they were probably some of those who said, ah, he can't do miracles. But after Jesus died, James became the leader of the church and wrote the book of James in our Bible. And Jude, Jesus' brother, wrote the, the book of Jude in our Bible. They became great leaders in the church. Imagine they'd learned that lesson earlier. Imagine how much blessing could have flowed, flowed into that city. Every other city in, in Israel was having healings and miracles and a great blessing from the Lord, but Jesus' hometown was not. Let's, let's spread this, this honor, this bigger picture, the nurture, the love, the discipline of the Lord. Let's get this going in our churches. Then we are making disciples. Then we are becoming disciples and miracle power floods, floods into our lives. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.